certain certain uh, retreat has to be done in a certain way, but then uh, and you can kind of set something going and then think you have to do that every year. This year, I think, is trying to like because there's so many anagarikas and trying to uh, establish them in the uh, basic knowledge of Dhamma and practice the first month and the bhikkhus seem to be most of them seem to be very self-motivated they didn't need a lot of instruction and attention and then they gave time for the second month to the sila daras uh, who I've not given much attention to for a long time <laughs> and uh, therefore it was uh, having to to provide uh, different opportunities for different groups. But the thing is that the, you, the, the apply the practice, you know, it's, 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 the practice works if you, if, you, if you use it. If you refuse to use it, then don't, don't, don't expect to, to be liberated from suffering. But, uh, or think that they you know blame other sources because it it is a very clear practice and very uh, uh, but it does like anything it it needs you need to apply it it just isn't magical in itself like it it it, uh, it uh, you know miracles happen overnight it's an ongoing <laughs> application of of this uh, mindfulness and contemplation <coughs> and so you're keeping attention in here more than, than than out there I mean we work with the things around us yes mindfully but but we're not giving the importance the whole life uh, our life to, to the external anymore but to to use the the uh, experience of how things impinge and and affect our minds too able to see what, how we create suffering and how and how we can stop creating suffering in our mind. It's like Lung Po Cha used to say, you know, that we are the creator of this suffering. We are the creator of the world and, and we create the world. And these things are like, these are words and you contemplate the world because uh, and and creation and, and desire. I mean, you're not expected to believe these these statements, but because they're for reflection, that they, they put something into your mind for you to look at things in a different way. I mean, if you, you know, your the mind is very malleable. You can look at things from many different angles. There's not just one direct one way that you you have to look at something. So I mean it. And, and we get very, very kind of fixed oftentimes, especially as you get older. Uh, older people are very fixed, you know, this, this, is, this is the way it has to be, this is always the way it's been and it can't change and if it changes then well, everything will fall apart, that kind of panic of, of rigid thinking and, and very fixed view. But uh, actually the human, because we are this this center point, this still point. There is this still point. So then, then, uh, then the reflective capacity is one can look at things in different ways, and 
the perceptions that we use, the conventions that we have, are are not for grasping and for fixing onto and, and kind of imposing on others, but for for uh, for this developing of mindfulness and wisdom. So it's 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 just like like how you you know it's. it's you can see how how you can become very institutionalized into being a Buddhist. If you if you don't if you don't open your mind up, then you you tend to you you tend to just become a Buddhist in the in the sense that you attach to Buddhist ways of thinking, Buddhist ideas, Buddhist teachings, and identify with with uh, being a Buddhist. And so it's a and that's you know there's still attachment there. It's still just a different costume. Really, from wearing a different different outfit, but in uh, but the, that isn't uh, even though that might have certain advantages. Like if if you if you if Buddhism becoming a Buddhist makes you better, more moral and responsible and better person. That's fine. There's nothing, no objection to that at all. But but it's not liberating until you. Till you uh, see how to how to uh, develop mindfulness, how to use mindfulness for non-attachment, how to realize that the the non-suffering that comes that's through non-attachment. So I mean, we still suffer. When we're good Buddhists. We can still suffer like crazy. I mean, you, you can really, you can get very, you know, if somebody starts threatening Buddhism, you get, you can get very angry with them. Uh, you can see any, you, you can get into these very fundamentalist kind of positions where you, 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 you know, we've got to protect Buddhism against the onslaught of uh, heresy, things like this, and we become I- into that mode of just very uh, rigid self-righteous uh, fanaticism and these, uh, Buddhism doesn't lend itself very easily to fanaticism but it but there they, it could you know we can we could be easily I mean if we're not if we're just attached to Buddhism as such then then we become uh, we become Buddhists which make us very separate from everyone else so you you know, you see every other religion, every other philosophy, or even other forms of Buddhism as as the as the enemy, or the the one that is uh, that could corrupt the purity of your own uh, attachment, your own Buddhist attachment. Uh, so that, that remember, the the purity of the mind isn't isn't Buddhist or anything. It's it's nameless. The purity of being. Uh, our truth isn't doesn't belong to anybody. isn't isn't called anything. So it's 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 uh, it's uh, so it's not a matter of of claiming that we have the that we you know we have this the only view on the truth and and no one else has because that that is just the most blatant kind of egotism and and, uh, and sign of attachment. And so the, the Buddha Dhamma is, a, is an opening of the mind to to to, this, to realization of non-attachment. And that's like the 
Four Noble Truths so clearly point out that Third Noble Truth, the realization of non-attachment, cessation, Nibbana, But like anything, it, it's, it's a continuous, we, have, we need to apply it to the practical experiences of life and to, to really watch and, and get to know how your mind works and where you, where you, you, know, you get carried away or your, 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 your particular uh, blind spots or, or delicate areas or Achilles heel or whatever. We all have particular things that, that uh, particular uh, unique uh, problems sometimes or obstructions that uh, that only we can see only we I mean it's not not for that only we can really it's only it's because they're affecting our lives and the way we live our lives and it's where we when we're mindful we can begin to see what we're doing see what it, the problem is what the attachment is. Then here at, at uh, in the in a monastery, the, we have we you know the communal life will bring up the uh, all all our emotions because we have you know different personalities having to to live together and. Uh, with different qualities, different characters and abilities and and we can see it in terms of it being troublesome but it's better not to look at it that way see it as a kind of like a more welcoming opportunity to uh, to let go of things and it is a, a, a community that is and isn't, we're not uh, you know, we're we're quite open to suggestions or ways of dealing with things. Or, I mean, it's not that we we have just one hard line that that you can't question in any way, or that uh, this is the way we've done it. And if you don't like it, shut up and go away, or or don't be a nuisance. That kind of thing. We're not into into that kind of uh, attitude. But also recognize that, that we, uh, it is a religious community. So it's not. It's not. You have to. You have to recognize it is. It's a traditional, religious community. So it has its own style and its own form that have been handed down. A tradition is something that's been handed down. So. It may not fit, into what you you personally like as an ideal. No. Or it might not fit into the into the ideals of say of the modern of the new age, but it's something you can also learn from. Learn how to how to live within a tradition, you know, because many of us have never had to do that. Like being American, we never don't have any tradition. Had to completely re re uh, rethink life as a Buddhist monk because living in a traditional, conservative traditional form in Thailand was just a challenge of the mind. It, had, it went against so many of my uh, ideas of what 
you know, what I thought should be or what I was used to. But the aim is of the practice is to liberate the mind and not to just conform to tradition or we're not trying to protect a tradition as an end in itself. But it it has its own it's like this, it has its own uh, style. Theravada Buddhism. Uh, it's like this. It's it's the style. It's uh, its form is this way. So this is this is what we have as a tradition. And that that also helps us to see our own kind of uh, attitudes and and uh, assumptions prejudices. But don't make the tradition the important issue in your, the, the practice is the important thing, is where the liberation is. You never get liberated through the tradition if you, if you just uh, conform to it or reject it. It's, it's not a matter of blindly conforming or blindly rejecting, but in in uh, using it for meditation for mindfulness. I think now in the Western world <coughs> there's more understanding of these things. There's more, say, in, in Europe, <coughs> America, there's much more, I mean, there are many more people, say, in the past 30 years who've been through meditation, who've practiced meditation and who have insight into Dhamma. They thirty years ago it was, it was nothing much around, and you just you know in this, it was hard to find any any even literature in English on Buddhism, and uh, there you know in America there is I didn't meet any Americans who knew anything about it and who had any real interest in it and who. Uh, had any experience practicing it. It's just 30 years ago, not as far as I was concerned, and, and I lived in a very uh, kind of progressive part of the States. It, still, uh, there wasn't, and uh, meditation wasn't uh, something that anyone knew anything about. Meditation was just, wasn't a word anyone ever really used. So now, and 30 years later, there's, there's there's so much uh, now available and, and people who have uh, practiced through different uh, meditation traditions and, and also there's a, an awareness of, there's an openness now to things like tradition where at one time the during the Zen Buddhist uh, fa fashion in the 50s with with the beatniks and Jack Kerouac and all that Dharma bums and the, the, they loved the they loved the Zen approach because the, the Zen that came across to the States at that time was this uh, outrageous style you know of, <coughs> of uh, putting down the establishment and the tradition and uh, and saying you know emphasizing your own you know it's, you don't need all these you don't bow you don't you don't use incense you don't have ceremonies you don't have any of this it's just a pure Zen is the 
is, is, is the right way. Because that conformed very much to, uh, to an American ideal. Uh, we didn't have any traditions to rebel against. We didn't have anything to rebel against. There's a James Dean film, Rebel Without a Cause, which is like in the 50s, which was a good, good example of American life. You know, you rebel just for the sake of rebelling. There's nothing to rebel against. <laughs> you're, you're kind of given the right to just, you know, so much kind of just do whatever you feel like. And, uh, and so it became fashionable to just rebel or to because we didn't have Buddha Rupa's traditions, ceremonies, chants, uh, all that anyway, we could just say, we could just condemn them all. Say, you don't need any of them. So they're the kind of arrogance that Americans have of just thinking, you know, this is just a waste of time. These, these Asian people, they don't know how to do it. They just, they've got all these superstitious traditions and they do this chanting. Nobody knows what, know what they're saying. And, they bow to images on a shrine, and and uh, but Buddha didn't teach that, and uh, they, and you get into these very strong views about what the Buddha really taught, and and how they they've got it all wrong in Asia, and so uh, this was uh, this was the, in the fifties. This Zen movement was very kind of iconoclastic and and very attractive indeed and many of us were you know it appealed to you know it, it did bring us our attention to the to Buddhism so I don't you know, very grateful to it but also it, it was at a time where where the uh, nobody really understood it nobody practiced it or done enough practice to know know what it really was about and so it's still and still could form a lot of conceited views around the idea of Zen Buddhism. And then it's interesting when, when it came to England uh, 18 years ago, how in the Buddhist society in London, you go to the summer schools, and there were, there were still these attitudes of we're Zen and we're Tibetan and we're Theravada, and then kind of, of uh, kind of fixed uh, attitudes, and there's always this kind of, of uh, we are Zen. It always is. I'm not Theravada. <laughs> the way that, that the people would be very attached to a school and have very strong opinions against all the others. So, so, and now you don't find that so much. You know, you find like here in Britain, there's much more because there's been much more uh, kind of commitment to practice where where these kind of uh, rigid views and attachments to various traditions it just doesn't begin to uh, evaporate no longer you see it as as as, uh, as ignorance and attachment rather than something you're going to promote and, and uh, interpret life from a viewpoint But remember, the, 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 the practice does take you to complete relinquishment. So it's a, and that's everything that's self. And, and even though that might sound very attractive as a theory, as an experience, it's, it's, there's so many subtle, subtle things about oneself that you just, it's very difficult to, to see sometimes. I mean, that's why it takes patience. It 
sense. I mean, you can maybe agree very quickly with the theory, letting go of self is a, you know, that's great, that's wonderful. But, and then we can let go of a lot of things that are self. I mean, you let go a lot of, of habits and just by moral, training ourselves in a moral way, we're taking responsibility for our, how we live and practicing meditation and, and uh, letting the, the kind of uh, life in a community kind of as you, you know, you, you get, you, you know, brings up your own, a lot of your own uh, conceit and fears and desires and we gradually learn how to let go more and more until there's, there's, there's subtleties of, of self conceit and that that, that, are, that are really very uh, because the, the big the problem is we think we understand because we we have the conception of it all and then to let go of even that conception <coughs> of understanding It's like you, you kind of, everything's taken away. There's no position, nothing left. And which is, you know, one can say, but to realize that, it's very, you know, it takes, don't, don't, uh, don't think you can just do it as an act of will. It's through, you can, the more you try to make it happen, the more deluded you become. It's through, through patience, through mindfulness, through humility, through day-by-day living and using the, the, the uh, experiences that you have and the way you react as an individual person. You don't, don't despair if your reactions are, if you, you know, if you, because we can be quite critical of ourselves and think we're hopeless because we have, uh, we, can, we can see our, a lot of our reactions and Emotions are pretty immature or foolish or, you know, we can put them down all the time and put ourselves down because of it. But those are the things we learn from. We learn from the way we are. You don't learn from being the best. You learn from the way it is. So, I mean, even your, uh, even your worst faults are still dhamma if you see them in the right way and are not obstructions in themselves it's the attachment to those faults and identity that is the obstruction they all had to be angels to live this life none of us would be here So interesting now that we're shifting into the the uh, the Ides of March. <laughs> the Ides of March practice <laughs> means that the, the the retreat is ending. And so that, this notice, like the the feeling of of this change taking place now, the kind of what we're used to in the terms of the past two months and the, the, the perception of retreat time 
and all that. And now it, there's this sense of changing, and the changes are quite strong at this time because, like I just yesterday trying to get ready to move, you know, they're going to tear down my my dwelling place in a couple of weeks. So, okay. the sense of having to move. I've lived there for what, eight, nine years now. But, you know, having to move, the sense of moving, uh, change, and then. And then the Manga Puja, all the monks, the nuns coming, Manga Puja. And then I'm going to Sri Lanka on the 1st of May for this ceremony. And then, and then uh, come back and then have an operation. And at the time, uh, they'll be uh, ripping apart the, the old Dhamma Hall in the meeting hall. And uh, the sense of change and, of, and the confusion, the kind of the, and the way it can affect your mind. Just no contemplate that. You know, like retreat has a certain kind of expectation of everything's under the lay people are doing all this, and we just practice, and and we have this sense of, uh, you know, it, it has this uh, retreat has a certain mood to it that we can, that we like and we can uh, we appreciate. But then. Now, say, the, the mood is changing to one of this uh, lot of unknown changes. Uh, uh, spring is, is here. And uh, just be open to that, to that kind of uh, feeling. So you're not just, you're not just, you know, walking blindly through it or getting caught up in thinking that something's wrong because it isn't like it was last February. If you, if you hold to a view that life should always be like the peak moment of your meditation retreat, then you'll never, your life will always be, you know, very very few times can you make life into, into that peak moment of perfect understanding and peace as, a, as an ongoing experience in, in terms of conditions around you. We eventually learn how to do that within the mind itself, which is the liberation, because then we're not, we, we lose that need to control or hold on to things to, to feel uh, secure. But uh, in, in also in this, this, this period that's coming up, just uh, kind of open to it and, and see and, and, and observe, you know, how it affects you, your own, how the, these kind of experiences, uh, what emotions come up. And, and be, just be patient with yourself, and try to to see it from that objective position, like like this sense of change, the unknown, a lot to do, what's going to happen, all that. What is that you can observe? You know that which is aware of that mood, that feeling of maybe uncertainty. <coughs> Don't quite sure what, how it's going to work. Or, I don't know. If it, if it be all right, or something might go wrong, or are we doing the right thing, or <laughs> this kind of thing is, uh, is to to observe that and to be the the witness of it, mindful of it. Well, then you gain a lot of wisdom from from the from from these uh, transition periods and times of change also. You're not, you're, 
your ability to adapt is is endless. It's just amazing adaptability of human consciousness to to uh, the changes of of this uh, impermanent, never changing uh, realm that we experience. I used to think, <laughs> oh, it'd be nice if I just stayed at Chithurst, had a nice little group of monks and nuns around, controlled it, and uh, and protected it from any kind of disturbing influences from outside. And a nice cocoon, kind of safe little utopian place, a lovely, lovely spot. But. Uh, well, the, the the pusillanimous tomato was were like that idea, you know, because it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that word. Yeah, well, I've just come from Canada. <laughs> it means that, like cowardly, small-minded. What was the word? Pusillanimous. Have you been using it for the retreat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't feel alone if you don't. <laughs> Pusillanimous tomato was very, you know, it, it, I like to, to kind of find a place where you could feel safe and, and uh, try to, and then feel very threatened by, by anything, by changes. And, and by things that would come from outside. Remember Chitters with, the, with Cheng Su, I mean that was a real, this kind of nutty man came and stayed for quite a while and he's like a real, I mean you felt this <laughs> incredible, he brought up all kinds of kind of almost primordial fears of, of this outward force coming in and disrupting everything. Whereas all the external forces, the evil, Temptations of life. The, the, the actually, you know, you feel this. The, the liberation comes through, through not through control, but through opening, receptivity. And so, like even the Maras, the devils. You see, Mara, I think is, as uh, I think Mara is that force in the universe which won't let you ever rest with anything other than perfect enlightenment. So then you, you think Mara's really your best friend. Because no matter how successful, <coughs> I mean, if we, if we could be satisfied with less, we would have, we would, you know, if I, with, with uh, say, worldly things, and worldly successes and, and, uh, and all that, we would be completely satisfied with it. We wouldn't, wouldn't be here. But it's through this, there's no, you know, that we, we can't, we'll never be content with anything until there's perfect enlightenment. And that's because Mara will, never, will always come and, and uh, test you out. And, and when you think you've got it all and everything is just super and nice and it's just, you know, it couldn't be better than this, then Mara comes. Every time. 
every time I every time I've had this oh this is perfect now it's just wonderful suddenly wham something uh, I'm telling the nuns that just before Venerable Ananda ran away uh, the two months before that here at, at Amravati I remember it was a, we had this incredibly lovely weather here beautiful spring and it was warm and sunny and everything looked so utterly ethereal and beautiful and we had really nice lay people staying here really interesting pleasant lay guests and uh, and I remember those two months before uh, Anando uh, uh, fled thinking I'm walking across this square here thinking, oh, it's so lovely here it's so wonderful <laughs> and so pleasant so, uh, you know, feeling so happy and everything is, seems to be going along so all right, you know. And two months of this, this kind of paradise and then, then suddenly this kind of shock of the, one of your senior monks kind of running away. And, uh, this, that's the, but that's the, uh, you know, when you, you know, I, I was aware at the time when I was thinking how marvelous it is. I, I was aware that it's going to change. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking that it's not going to change. But it always left me this impression of before something really, really heavy happens, sometimes life gets incredibly pleasant. That's <laughs> 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 like, wow. <laughs> So, so don't uh, don't uh, take for granted the the good things of life. But it's like uh, kiss the joy as it flies, rather than <laughs> try to hold on to it.